For stroke rehab patients, natural gains in motor recovery and speech generally plateau within a few months after a stroke. New research indicates that the use of cortical stimulation therapy may improve motor functions beyond this window. What is cortical stimulation and how can it be used to help stroke victims regain motor skills? You are listening to ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Richard Harvey, Associate Professor of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and Medical Director of the Center for Stroke Rehabilitation at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Harvey. Thank you. Today we are discussing cortical stimulation for motor recovery after stroke. Dr. Harvey, what is cortical stimulation for motor recovery after someone had a stroke? Well, there are actually several interventions that have been looked at to apply an electrical current to the cortex of the brain in order to modify neural function. And those three interventions that are currently being studied are repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation, transcranial direct current stimulation, and implanted epidural cortical stimulation. Can you review each one of those briefly? Repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation uses a device called a transcranial magnetic stimulator. And what it is is really just that it's an electromagnet, just like the ones we all used in physics. But the electromagnet the metal part of the electromagnet is in a figure of eight, and the wires are wrapped around that metal to make a figure of eight coil. If you run an electrical current through that figure of eight coil, you get an electromagnetic field that's centered such that if you hold it over an intact cranium, it will cause a depolarization of cortical neurons in about a one centimeter area directly under the magnet. So you can actually induce a motor-evoked potential in a peripheral muscle through the cortex. How strong is this magnet? Well, the magnets come in different strengths, and therefore, you know, there's an array of products down there. And I'm not really sure what the terminology for the magnetic strength is, but what the magnets, the magnets don't create a strong magnetic field like uh, MRI or anything like that. They produce a targeted electromagnetic field. But it results in a current that's run through the cortex and results in depolarization. Now, the other kind of way to induce cortical stimulation is the transcranial direct current stimulation, which is where you take a electrical box, basically, and you have an anode and you have a cathode. You take the anode and you put it over the motor cortex, and you take the cathode and put it over the orbit of the eye. And you run a direct current from anode to cathode. And it's a low current of 1 milliamp, but it creates an electrical field in the central nervous system, which results in increased excitability of the cortex under the anode. And that excitability sort of makes it easier to activate cortical neurons. The final way to do cortical stimulation is to basically implant an electrode where you do a craniotomy, you expose the dura, and you place an electrode over the dura, and then you tunnel 
a wire lead down to implantable pulse generator, which is placed in the chest wall, similarly to the way a pacemaker is placed. And then that can be controlled by telemetry and allow you to turn on and off a low level of subthreshold electrical stimulation, which runs in a bipolar format. That is, the uh, current runs out of an, the electrode and then back into the electrode as it arcs through the cortex. And that provides another means of providing cortical stimulation. So on these three processes, this cortical stimulation, how does that specifically help for recovery after a stroke? Well, in each of these cases, the delivery of electrical stimulation to the cortex can result in increased excitability of cortical neurons. And we know from past research dating back to the 60s and 70s that if you apply a electrical current or stimulate nerves in a central nervous system, you can increase the strength of a synapse. And this is called long-term potentiation. And most of us learned in medical school that long-term potentiation was the way memory worked, that the way we mem remember things is that there's a change in the synaptic strength within the hippocampus. Well, this works in the motor cortex as well. And if you apply electrical currents to the motor cortex, you get changes. For example, a researcher named Randolph Nudo from the University of Kansas did a study where he took rats and he implanted a microelectrode into the motor cortex region, which codes for forelimb of the rat. And he stimulated at a subthreshold level for a couple hours. When he removed that stimulation and then mapped out the cortex, he found that the area of the cortex representing forelimb had expanded into the area that previously represented the whisker muscles. There's muscles on whiskers in rats. And those areas of the brain that had coded for those previously were now representing forelimb, merely because he had stimulated the cortex repetitively at a high frequency. And so these cortical stimulation methods allow changes in the cortex by changing the physiology and increasing synaptic strength in the area that's stimulated. And this can help facilitate neural recovery. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Richard Harvey, associate professor of physical medicine and rehabilitation, Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine, and medical director of the Center for Stroke Rehabilitation at the Rehabilitation Institute of Chicago. We are talking about cortical stimulation for motor recovery after stroke. Dr. Harvey, what you last spoke about, that research piece in dealing with the animals, was remarkable. Well, what has been done on humans and what is planned to be done on humans? These three modalities which I've discussed have all been tested in humans in small studies. For example, repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation. The way it works is you stimulate the cortex at a high frequency, greater than one hertz, using this PMS technique. And if you do that for a number of stimulations, you can then have the person train on a functional task with their affected limb if they've had a stroke. And what we've found in small studies is that at least for a little while, these people perform better with their affected hand. What's a little while? It depends. If you do a single session of RTMS, 
you'll get probably about 20 or 30 minutes of enhanced performance, and then it sort of decays over time. If you did it every day for five days, as what, what was done in one study, that enhanced improvement seems to last at least two weeks, but we're not sure about really long-term effects yet because nobody's really tested uh, the effects of this in the long run. Interestingly, because there is this phenomenon called interhemispheric inhibition, which to explain it simply, if I have a stroke, say, on the right side of my brain, which affects my left side of my body, one of the reasons why my left side doesn't work is because there used to be intact fibers going from my right cortex to my left cortex, which inhibited activity coming out of the left side of my brain. Because of the stroke, not only do I not have a lot of nerves controlling my left arm, I also have lost the inhibition to my left cortex. So the left cortex is more excitable, and it's sending impulses to inhibit my right cortex. So in a sense, the stroke on my right side not only is at a disadvantage because of injury to nerves, but the left side of the brain continues to inhibit its function. So another way to use this is to apply the repetitive stimulation at a low frequency, say less than one hertz, and that results in an inhibition of activity in the cortex on the side that you do it. So you use that on the opposite side of the brain, reducing inhibition to the affected cortex, and that also helps improve motor function on the uh, affected side. So and it's not a little complicated, but we're testing the use of this cortical stimulation, both on the affected cortex and the unaffected cortex, but using different parameters of the stimulation. Well, how do you decide which approach of the three that you mentioned to use? Well, what I've been thinking about is that in the long run, RTMS is not convenient because you have to find the right place to do it. You have to hold that stimulator in the right place and it really takes a lot of skill and it takes a lot of time. It's just not going to be a practical use in a therapeutic environment. The transcranial direct current stimulation, that might be a little better. You attach the electrodes, you tape them down, you strap them around the head, and you might be able to do that in a clinical setting, but there's still a setup time. Now, although it, it sounds less attractive, the invasive procedure might have some advantages. That is, using the implanted epidural cortical stimulator it might have advantages because, first of all, the way you decide where that electrode goes is by doing a functional MRI scan. And in the fMRI, the person attempts to move their affected hand. You find out where the active area, based on the bulb highlight of the MRI, you can see what part of the injured cortex is actually active when they attempt to use their hand. And then using neuronavigation techniques, the neurosurgeon is able to identify the exact location where they're going to plant the electrodes. They do the craniotomy. They plant the electrodes. They run the lead wire down to the uh, implanted uh, pulse generator. Now you have a targeted system. It's all completely enclosed in your body. You don't have to worry about setup. You don't have to worry about whether the electrode moves because it's all there. Now all you need to do is use telemetry to turn the stimulator on at an appropriate time, and then you have the patient do regular therapy where they're forcing themselves to use their hands, where they're training and skills and while the stimulator is running. We know from some basic animal research that the longer the trains of stimulation for the longer period of time seems to result in a longer-lasting effect. And so it might be that the implanted stimulator is going to be the answer. The disadvantage is it requires surgery. So we're going to see how this plays out in clinical trials in the future.
Has this implanted therapy been done much in the United States? Yeah, there's been a small trial of 24 patients that has used the fully implanted system. That small trial was intended to see if this was a safe intervention, first and foremost. Turned out that out of the 24 patients, actually only 12 got implanted and 12 did not get implanted, and they, they were compared on their response to a therapeutic intervention. It turns out that out of the 12 that were implanted, there were no complications, no seizures, no neurological decline, and no real complications from the surgical procedure. I want to thank Dr. Richard Harvey, who has been our guest. We have been discussing cortical stimulation for motor recovery after stroke. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.